0: But this morning, let's prepare our hearts for the Word. The title of this morning's message is The Way of Faith, part of our Words in Red series. And how much faith do you need for God to hear you? How much faith do you really need for God to hear you? And how can you see impossible situations in your life change? And what happens if you don't have enough faith? And how do you grow your faith? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today, and Father, I pray over the next few moments as we prepare our hearts to uh, hear and learn from your word, God, that you would anoint me to speak only what you would have uh, to say, God, and I pray that you would anoint our ears to hear, Lord, your word as you have meant it to be heard. And so, Father, we open up our hearts to cultivate, Lord, inside of us that you would grow our faith, put us on a journey of faith growth. Father, that we would be increasing our faith daily. And Father, wherever we are, that we would leave from this place, Lord, more confident and more trusting in the God who can do the impossible situations, Lord, who can overcome all things, who has done, who has already moved heaven and earth, Lord, to make a way to be near to us. God, how can we not trust you more? Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just do that in us today. Let our church grow and increase our faith. And everybody said... Amen. Look with me in your Bibles today. Mark chapter 9, verse 17. Mark chapter 9, verse 17. The way of faith. The way of faith. Are we there? Say amen. Got a quarter of you. All right. Mark chapter 9, verse 17. And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit... "...which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him into the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered and said unto them, "'O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? Or how long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me.' And they brought the boy to him, Jesus." And when he saw him, he immediately, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes." Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and you mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter into him again. And after crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, raised him, and he got up. All around us today are people in need of, of mercy and God's help. They're crying out to Him, just like this Father. They're crying out to God, begging Him for help. And yet beside them are a bunch of people full of unbelief who don't believe in a God full of mercy and power. So the world needs a church that's walking in the faith and the power of God. Amen? And that's what we're going to talk about today. We may have a tiny measure of faith, but if it's planted in God's Word... Along with some selfless prayer and the understanding of His purpose and power on the cross, that faith will produce the impossible. Faith put in God's Word along with selfless prayer and an understanding of the message of the cross will produce the impossible. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The what of faith. What is faith? What is faith? You know, it's simply defined as trust. We have a lot of words that the Greek words use for different things. But faith simply means to put trust in something or to trust. You think about all the things that we trust today. I saw this illustration I wanted to share. Think about the pharmacists, for example. How many people trust their pharmacists? How many people have not trusted their ph- You know, have you had a bad experience before? But think about it this way. You go to a doctor whose name you cannot pronounce and whose degrees you've never verified. He gives you a prescription you cannot read. You take it to a pharmacist you've never met. He gives you a chemical compound you do not understand. Then you go home and you take the pill according to the instructions on the bottle. What's faith? You think about it. That's true. You don't know what is true or not, what they say is right or wrong, but yet you have faith and trust in that doctor, in that pharmacist, that what they give you is correct. And you don't know the difference till maybe tomorrow morning, whether it works or not, or it has adverse effects. And so trust... The Bible, uh, a Bible dictionary says that faith is the reliance on God who himself is trustworthy. It's relying on God because he is trustworthy. One author says faith is the trustful human response to God's self-revelation uh, revelation through Jesus Christ. It's the trusting of the revelation and everything in the person of Jesus Christ. So I trust God, I have faith in God because he is trustworthy. He's already earned it. He don't have to show me his pedigree. It, I, it's not about whether I understand it or not. I don't understand everything the doctor tells me or how the doctor got his degree or what his last name is or how you pronounce that medicine or where it comes from and how it was made in that laboratory. We don't have all the answers when you take that pill. You don't know where that pill came from, who's touched it before. You don't know what exactly is in there and how all those chemicals and compounds work, but you trust what it said it's going to do for you, Right? And so how much more should we trust the God of the universe who's given us his very word, who sent his very own son, who says, you don't maybe understand all things or know all things, but I do. And I've given you my son, I've revealed myself to you. So trust in me, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge that I'm the guy that wrote the book, right? And so trusting, and what is faith? So it's simply to trust in God. Where does it come from? The Bible says in Romans twelve three that each person has been given a measure of faith. So it's something that's already in your, de- your spiritual DNA. Every single one of us has a measure of faith. It's that spiritual blueprint that God breathed His breath into mankind. It makes us different. We're the only thing on the earth that can have faith and, and love and those things, those complicated things that are spiritual things, really. You know, animals don't have faith right they don't love like we love and so those are our spiritual DNA and there's a measure of faith the bible says given to each person but then why doesn't all believe well the bible also says in romans 10:17 that faith comes alive by hearing the word of god and it's a cultivation of that faith we hear the word of god and then it has to begin to grow all right, And that's what we're going to talk about today, that everyone has a measure of faith, and we all have a little bit of faith, but is it growing? Where is your faith going today? Is it on a journey to be more like Jesus? Is it a faith that is being cultivated in learning to trust more in God, learning who He is, and understanding His plan for the world and for your life? And the Bible says that faith does something, too. Genesis 5, or 15, verse 6 Abraham, this pagan guy who didn't know, he believed in all kinds of gods, but he was searching for the Most High God, and he found and he heard God, and he drew near to God, and God drew near to him, and it says that he had faith in God, and God added it to his account as righteousness. So faith in God produces righteousness. It, it, he adds it to my account. Faith makes me right with God. God, in right relationship. So when I have trust and faith in God, it makes me right relationship with Him. Faith is that thing that is is necessary for our salvation. Faith is the currency of heaven. Beyond salvation, faith sees that our needs and our conditions are met according to God's will. One author says it this way, Faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible and receives the impossible. I'll say that again because that's pretty good. Faith sees the invisible, it believes the incredible, and it receives the impossible. What is faith? Faith is simply trusting God for things that I don't understand or things that I don't know, but I know that He's trustworthy. And so no matter how small my faith, I can put it into Him. And no matter how big my faith, it's because I've grown in the knowledge and the relationship of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, so that lays the groundwork for today. We're going to talk about the need of faith, the need of faith. Let's look at this account in Mark chapter 9. Here we find Peter, James, and John. If you read the context, Peter, James, and John have just been on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. They saw Jesus' countenance change. They heard God's voice. They saw uh, Moses and Elijah, who were these dead prophets, come down and begin to minister to Jesus and begin to tell Jesus about what's going to happen to him. And so Peter, James, and John, they're pretty freaked out, and they saw this mighty thing, and they still didn't understand it all. They didn't quite comprehend what was going on, and they knew he had been talking about dying and a resurrection. They still didn't get it. And even here, they've seen this vision, and they still don't understand. And so here they are. They come down the mountain, and the nine disciples are, are down at the bottom, and there's a little village there. And so they come down the mountain. The three meet the nine, plus Jesus, and they find a crowd has gathered And there's this big commotion. And so this is where we find ourselves in Mark chapter 9. That these nine disciples were caught in a mess. Caught up in a mess. Here's Jesus getting glorified on this mountain. Come down here and there's a mess going on. And so they were unable to cast out this demon from this lunatic boy... And this father here, he's distraught, he's crying, he thought that these that disciples of Jesus, that there was going to be a way, he'd been suffering for years uh, from, from his son, his son's probably all scarred up, his son's uh, out of his mind, and it's a demonic spirit is affecting him, but it's like a mental condition, and then... So on one side, you come down here, you see the disciples all confused. And then there's this father weeping over this boy who's convulsing. There's a crowd that's gathered around. And then on the other side, there are a bunch of scribes and religious people who begin to condemn and bring accusation against the disciples and say, well, I knew they weren't all together. I knew they didn't have what they say they have. I knew this was a bunch of malarkey. And so all this doubt stirred up. And then you have the disciples now defending themselves. So if you picture in your mind, here's this holy time you just had with Jesus, and you walk down the hill, boys flopping over here, fathers crying, the disciples are arguing, the religious are over here arguing, the crowd's all in amazement, it's chaos, it's, and Jesus comes down, and he's a little bit mad, he's a little bit frustrated, because they didn't have the faith that they were supposed to have in what he had already been speaking, so look at this faith of this father, I want to take you on the journey of our need for faith. And we look at the father's account and his perspective for minute. We look at the father's account, and I want you to show show you then the disciple's account. But here we have this father, and can you imagine? He's already suffering for the loss of his son. His son's never played ball with him. His son has never uh, done the things that a father's son would want to do. And he's thinking his son is really about to die. And so here he is, he's dispirited, he's depressed by this bad report. Sometimes we get a bad report from the doctor, our spirit goes down, we get, we get that negative report from our job or whatever, and your spirit goes down. And that's where he's at, he's in that low place, where it can't get any worse, and this was my last hope. I've done tried all the doctors, went to all the, the research centers, had all the tests done, and I thought this guy, Jesus, was my, and, and sure enough, man, here I am, I'm at the end of my rope. We find this guy. Right here, weeping, dispirited, because the disciples could not help him. Matthew seventeen is the parallel of this story, and Matthew seventeen says that the father comes to Jesus and he bows down before him, and he says, "Lord," which is such a powerful statement. He bows before Jesus, he calls him Lord, and he says, "Have mercy." Man, that's at the very beginning, right there. I don't care where you are in your life. If you are at the bottom of the bottom of the barrel, if you're at the end of your rope, man, the best thing to do in that place is bow our knees, come to Jesus and say, "God, you are Lord over my situation. I cry out for mercy." That's the very beginning of that life journey, that beginning of faith, that act of saving faith. The Bible says that we are saved when we, through repentance, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us. So he bows his knees, cries to Jesus as Lord, and asks for mercy. I mean, if that's not repentance, I don't know what it is. He's at the beginning of his faith right here. So look at this. Scripture tells us that faith in Jesus as Lord is the condition for salvation. And so he says, Lord, help me. Where do you turn today in times of suffering, times of desperation? Who gives you life and life abundant? Jesus takes this moment. He's not in a hurry. It's kind of uh, ironic and funny. Here's, again, take, go back to where we are. Boys flashing around. Fathers crying. Disciples are arguing. Religious people are condemning. The crowd's in amazement. The three disciples are still like, what in the world will you just see back there? And here's Jesus. He pauses. So how long ago did this start happening? You know, it's like, please help me. Help me. What are you doing? And he's like, well, how long has this been going on? And it's just this calm, cool collectiveness over Jesus. And so I-, I thought that was hilarious that he's, but what is he doing? He's willing to draw out his faith. You ever been in a crisis situation and you're praying to God, I need an answer. Please help me right now. And God just says, well, how's life been going? Is it going pretty good? What have you been doing? What, how was is, how is your lunch today? You know, like God just kind of takes a little stroll through the park, he's drawing his faith out. He's he's lingering with the man. And I think this is a, a grace moment for God because he's willing to help this man grow his faith. It's a test. It's a trial. And sometimes you and I, when we get into that place where we feel like, God, I need your answer right now, sometimes God doesn't say yes or no. He says, wait, Because He's testing our faith. And the Bible says that the testing of our faith in James produces endurance. It's cultivating you to grow. And sometimes God's answer is wait. And the dad is the same way. This dad is struggling. But Jesus in His grace is willing to help him grow. I believe if God had done things differently, the the guy would not have had the faith that it was needed. And sometimes we don't have the faith that we need in a certain situation of our life. We don't have... God can see the big picture... He's got the degree on the wall. He, he wrote the book. And for us to succeed later, maybe we need to go through a few things. Maybe we don't need the answer right now. Maybe we don't need a solution right now. Maybe he wants to just talk with you for a minute and let your faith be tested and grow you and stretch you a little bit. And so that's what he does with his dad. He, the dad is panicked in fear. God has a plan to grow his faith. And so the father says, if you can, man, when you get in that place, God, if you're up there, I've been praying for this for a long time. If you've been hearing me, if you can do something. And so it's that if the man was in a crowd of unbelievers. One author says that an atmosphere of unbelief makes it difficult to believe, which is kind of common sense. Who do we hang around with? What are they speaking into our lives? If we have a going through a crisis situation, it's kind of like Job and his friends. In the Bible, the Old Testament book of Job, his friends were not a lot of help. His family was not a lot of help to him. And so he says, if you can help me. The question is not about God's power, but our faith. If you can, God can. God can. One author says this, never put a question mark where God has put a period. Never put a question mark where God has put a period. If you can. Father, I've been going through this hard time. God, I've been talking to you for a while. I don't know if you're listening, but if you can, God can. It's not about whether he can or not. It's about how much my faith is in him. How much do I trust him to move those mountains in my situation? And so look at what Jesus says in verse 23. If you can. Like, who do you think I am? I think this sar- There's got to be some sarcasm in the Bible. Come on. He says, if you can. And Jesus is like, if I can? What do you mean, if I can? I made you. What are you talking about? You know, like, I, I, I was there when the world began. I, I spoke it into existence. What do you mean, if I can do anything? If I can? Really? And so he says, all things are possible to him who believes. Oh, man, that's a powerful statement. That's a powerful statement. All things are possible. There's an old song that says that. All things are possible if you only believe. Faith in Jesus here, though, is more than a verbal profession, more than a cry of help. You see, this man, he came to Jesus in faith, right? He had to believe Jesus might be able to do something. He bowed his knees before him. He cried out to him as Lord. He asked for mercy. He asked him to heal his son. So isn't that faith? But then he said, if you can... You mean we, we war in ourselves all the time about faith and our trust in God. Part of us is saying, yes, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, amen, like trading my sorrows. The other part is saying, woe is me, gloom and despair, right? And it's, it's that warring in ourselves. We're kind of a dualistic kind of a people. And so Jesus is saying all things is possible. But you know what? So many times, Christians, we can come down to the altar. We can make that verbal profession We can raise our hands, we can bow our knees, we can sing the songs about Jesus as Lord, but still not have the faith needed to succeed in our situations, right? Because it's more than a profession. You see, the man professed Jesus as Lord, but he didn't trust Him. There's a difference. There's a lot of Christians in the world today that are professing Jesus as Lord, but he doesn't have their heart Their heart really doesn't trust Him with their whole life and their whole situation. And it doesn't submit to the conditions of how He's going to answer it. Right? So we might want it now. We want it this way. We want it that way. God, I I, I know You're God, but this is how it needs to be done. And Jesus says, that's not trust. That's not trust. If you really believe, if you really have faith, if you really trust in Me, all things are possible. But you've got to trust Me. Not just tell Me, I'm Lord the demons know I'm Lord. Trust, all things are possible. So what does this mean? To trust in God. What does it mean? What does it mean to you today? To trust in God. What does it mean to trust in God? More than this statement, that Jesus is Lord, more than saying, Lord, come into my heart, more than singing worship songs, more than going to church, more than paying my tithes, more than serving in Sunday school, what does it really mean to trust in God? And this best statement, one of the most profound statements, I think, that are in Scripture from a, a non-believer, he says, in in his grief, what does the Father say? He says, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Man, that is... That's powerful. That's where we live. That's where I live a lot of times. And and I love what uh, one commentary says here. He says that his unbelief wasn't a refusal to believe. He wanted to believe. He wanted God's help. He professed Him as Lord. He asked for mercy. And there was some questioning but it wasn't a refusal to believe or trust God, but it was a weakness inside himself that he could not fix. He couldn't do it on his own. It's like sometimes you ever get to those places where it's, God, I know that I should have faith to believe this. Lord, you were, I know that you can. Lord, but I don't know if you will. You ever been there before? I have. Lord, I know you can. God, I know you're all powerful. God, I know you created the world. But I don't know if you're going to do this in my situation. I don't know if you're really going to provide for me a job. God, I don't really know if you're really going to heal my body or my family member. God, I don't really know if you're going to. But what does it mean to trust God? What does it really mean to trust God? And this man, in a profound statement, he understands, I think in a part... That faith is a gift. Remember we said faith is two things. One, it is a measure of faith that's given by God into your heart. It's part of your spiritual DNA. It's given to you. That's not something you did on your own. In part, our faith is given to us by God. But also in part, our faith is something that has to grow by understanding and hearing the Word of God. And so it has to be cultivated hearing the Word of God and then begin to grow and trusting Him. And so in part, what he's asking for, he's saying, God... I need a little bit more help. God, I, I, I can pray, Lord, for more faith. It's a gift, but I can pray for it. And so if we're conscious, I believe today, of, of my imperfection, I can pray to Jesus, God, help me remove all doubt from my life. Grant me unquestioning faith. I want to grow. I don't know, I don't know if this makes any sense, but I'm, I, I've been here. I've been there. It's like I know I should be this way, right? but I don't know how to get there. You ever been there before? God, I know I should trust you more. God, I know I should put my priorities different in my life. God, I don't know how to do it, though. Anybody ever been there before? You, I, I know I should believe this. I know I should have more faith, but God, I there's something in me that I can't fix, and so I just have to surrender that area to you as well and trust you, God, that you're bigger than even my own weakness. Amen? And that's surrender. That's completeness because I, I realize, God... I'm my own biggest enemy. I'm sometimes my own worst problem, but I have to surrender that too, right? I'm not just asking God, you do your part, but I'm saying, God, I can't even do my own part. I can't even do anything. I'm helpless. And so he surrenders his whole self. And I think in that moment, that's what it really was about. It was about saying, God, I've been trying to do you do your part. God, I'll do my part. But at the end of the day, I can't do anything, I just surrender all things, everything, my whole heart. I just have to trust you that you'll have to do your part, God, and you'll have to help me do my part, too, because I can't do it without you. Amen? Yeah. And so that's what it really means, the need of faith. We need God to do His part, and we need Him to help us do our part, because you can't do it on your own, and I can't do it on my own, and we can't do it on our own. We have to allow God to do His part, but also help with our part and say, God, I didn't have faith to begin with, but God, grow my faith. Give me uh, uh, impartation of faith. Help me grow it. I surrender even the ability to grow the faith to you. The Bible says that God plants the seed, which is the gospel. And one may water and one may till the soil and all this, but it's really God who does the growth. See, God gives you the seed and then God does the growth. What do you do? We're just the soil, right? Right. And so God, you need to, I need to surrender, plant faith in me. God, grow faith in me, right? And so I surrender, and that's what this guy is doing here. But there's a way of faith that begins after that moment, and we'll catch, look, let's look at the disciples. So we have the need of faith, and we have the way of faith. That day, I believe, faith was birthed in the Father. That seed was planted, and God waited it out and grew it out, and He began to cultivate it and grow it. But on the other side, he's got his disciples here. Here's this fresh new convert who's just beginning. And over here is the deacon board. And they're just making a mess right here. And he's like, what is going on? Be quiet. You know, like, just stand back behind me for a minute. You know, just stop it. Because they're arguing, and the guy's flopping here, and the father's getting repented. He's getting saved, for crying out loud, at the altar. And these guys are arguing on the back, and the boy's flopping over here. And it's chaos. And so Jesus is just like, shh, and he says, You unbelieving generation, how long shall I have to put up with you? Ooh, that's a, that's a sermon right there, right? Can you imagine being rebuked in person by Jesus? That would be, oh, oh sorry. You know, just, shh, it'd just be quiet for a moment. So everything got quiet. Jesus rebuked his disciples in front of the whole crowd. We don't do that too much in church anymore. And the disciples, they had seen Jesus calm the storm. They saw him walk on water. They saw him multiply loaves and fishes twice. They themselves had just received power and authority a few chapters back to cast out demons. And they did it. So what's happening here? What's going on? Countless people were delivered, they saw, with Jesus. Countless people were healed. Multitudes, people just getting near him got got healed. People just touching his clothes were getting healed. And here's this boy, he can't get healed. Their unbelief became a burden to Jesus, and he was embarrassed and sorrowful. Why? Why was Jesus embarrassed about those that had walked with him probably about two years at this point? Because there's consequences for a faithless church. There are consequences for being a church without faith. There are consequences for being a church that just says, Jesus is Lord, but we don't trust Him with our hearts. What what happens in this situation, I can pull out three things. Number one, their lack of faith did not deliver the boy. So a church's lack of faith will not deliver those that are dying and going to hell. Consequences for a faithless church is, number one, that they will not see people truly delivered. You'll see people come into churches today. They'll be on alcohol, drugs, pornography, adultery, or whatever. They'll come into a church and they'll never change because there'll be faithlessness in that church. Number two, there'll be a lack of faith. That lack of faith not only hindered the boy who was dying and could not heal him and see life come into him, but it also weakened the father's faith, those that are suffering. See, a lack of faith in the church doesn't offer encouragement. It doesn't offer uh, a, a promotion of the glory of God or the trust of God. It doesn't help those that are looking for answers and are suffering, that are at their last moment, they don't know have any more hope in their life. And a lack of a consequence of a faithless church does not give hope to those that are suffering. And number three, the lack of faith provoked the crowd to argue whether or not Jesus was really powerful enough. And the lack of faith and a, the consequence of a faithless church in our generation promotes more skepticism, more atheism, more humanism, more rationalism. And it does not promote a generation of young people and, and people in the crowds, in the communities. They still begin to wonder and bicker because they've never seen God do something powerful. They need it. We need a church today to step out and rise up and say, we know who Jesus is, what He can do. We've been there, seen Him through it, and we've been through it all. And we have the faith to pray the name of Jesus and see God do some mighty things. In our community, what it does, it silences those who have opposition against the church. What does the church need today? It doesn't need any more people standing up and just saying Jesus is Lord, but what about professing it and then doing something about it? Praying for the sick, seeing the lame walk, casting out demons, healing those that are uh, oppressed and burdened down, saving the lost, and seeing faltering change. That's the consequences of a faithless church. They do not deliver the dying, they do not give hope to the suffering, and it does not give answers to those that are questioning. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that that would be the type of church that would rule the last days. They would have a form of religion but have no power. That's the faithless church. But what does Jesus think today of powerless believers if in his day with his nine and the three behind him, he says, how long do I have to put up with you? You've seen it. You've been there, done that. What does Jesus think? And let's just be real. What does Jesus think about a church of people, maybe we've been saved 10 years, 30 years, 20 years, maybe just three, like the disciples, two or three, and I, I posed this question to a group one time, and how many people, and don't raise your hands, but just think about it, how many people in this room have the faith to see a demon cast out of somebody, how many would want to be in that situation, again, don't raise your hand, how many people would want to be in that situation, let's be real, let's put ourselves into the book, this is their situation, they encountered a demon, they are real, seeing them, okay, Prayed for people with them. How many people, how many Christians who say they walk with Jesus, who profess Him as Lord, would have the faith in that moment, if you or I encountered it together, just a few of us, would have the faith without the pastor, without the the pope, or whoever you think is all-powerful in Christianity. You know, would you have the faith to encounter that on your own? That's where they were. So before we get judging on their lack of faith, let's put ourselves into the words and read. What does Jesus think about a church today that doesn't have the power, doesn't feel the confidence, or feel the faith to cast out demons, or to pray and heal the sick, or to see souls saved and, and work in faith with those that are suffering and in hopeless situations? What does Jesus think about how many believers are really faithless today, powerless What's our reputation to those around us today that are dying and going to hell? What's our reputation today in the community for those that are suffering? And what's our reputation today in the community for those that are doubters, the atheists of the world in our community? I look at this and I wonder, God, He had said to them over and over again throughout the New Testament, O ye of little faith, O ye of little faith. But then they'd done some great things. They'd seen some awesome things. So what really was going on here that they had no faith. What was it that they didn't understand? If you have your Bibles, you can look in Matthew chapter seventeen, verse twenty-two. This is the parallel. There is a key here that some people often miss of why they didn't. Now Jesus is going to explain it here in a second too. But there is a context. There is a context on our way of faith. Where are we going? Where are we going? Jesus tells them. He said he came preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. He said repent, believe. In the gospel. And then in Matthew 17 22, he told them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and he'll be raised up on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. You see, they saw miracles, they saw healings, they heard the word of God, but they were grieved. They did not understand. They were confused at this whole cross thing. They were were confused at the power of the cross. They didn't understand what the cross would do. They didn't understand the purpose of Jesus' messianic mission to the world. What was He doing going to all these towns, preaching this message about getting my heart right, about faith in God's kingdom and understanding the kingdom of God is now? Why don't He just get up there and take over Rome and become a king? They didn't understand the cross. And so, if we as a church don't understand the mission of God to save the world, to be a mission-minded church, to be a cross who also, a church who also takes up our cross, we talked about the way of the cross last week. This is the same thing, church. It's that we have to be in the context of faith. And the way and the journey of faith, the way that God is growing our faith, the journey that He's taking us on, is the message of the cross. It's the the power in the cross. Why can Jesus cast out demons? It's because of the cross. What He's about to do. And so if you don't understand the cross, you don't understand the gospel. If you don't understand the power in the cross, and the power of crucifying the flesh... And this is where the disciples find themselves. They had been with Jesus and seen God do some mighty things, and they've seen people confess confessing him and miracles and healings and exorcisms, and they get to this place, and they, Jesus is up on the mountain. He's not there. Okay, now let's go. We can do it. Here's this. We've seen it done before, and we know how to do it, and the power in the name of Jesus, right? And so they try, and they can't. They did not understand the cross. They were confused. It grieved them. It confounded them. And so if we are on our way of faith today, and if we don't want to be a faithless church, we have to understand that Jesus is on a mission to the cross. He was on a mission to the cross. He was on a mission to save the world. And those that are walking with Him in faith are those that are walking with Him in step on that mission to crucify ourselves because there's power in what He has done on the cross. And so Jesus is going to the cross and these disciples don't understand it, and they don't understand the Word of God. And what He speaks is the Word of God. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and believing, trusting the Word of God. And if we don't understand the message of God is that He came to die on a cross, that we might live, that we don't have faith, and we won't be moving mountains. Now look at this, the possibility of faith. Look in Matthew chapter 17, verse 19. Matthew adds to this passage that uh, Mark does not. Matthew has a little extra paragraph. And so let's read this together because this is part of it. Uh, So let me catch this up there. So the way of faith is repentance and trusting in God for salvation. And it continues with following Jesus on his mission to seek and save the lost. It's our journey on the way to the cross with Jesus. So our possibility of faith here. Matthew chapter 17, verse 19. When the disciples came to Jesus privately, so all this has happened... He casts out the demon. Father is saved. The boy and him go away. The crowd dissipates. And so Jesus, the disciples come and say, why could we not drive it out? And Jesus says to them, verse 20, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Why have you failed? Because your faith is so tiny. But if you had tiny faith, you could move mountains. Alright? I mean, can you, can you be there with me for a second? Why did you fail? Your faith is so tiny. But if you had tiny faith, you could move mountains. Alright? But I didn't move a mountain, God. But you just said, if I, had t- I have tiny faith. But if I had tiny faith, I could move mountains. That doesn't make any sense, right? So, what is Jesus saying here? will give you an illustration. A man was browsing in a department store when he made the shocking discovery that God was behind the counter at the checkout line. And so a man walks over the counter, he asks, he says to God, What are you selling? God replies, What does your heart desire? The man said, Well, I want happiness, peace of mind, freedom from fear for me and the whole world. You know. God smiled and said, I don't sell fruit here, only seeds. It's got to get cultivated in you. God doesn't just give it. You pray for more faith, it's going to come as a seed. And what he's saying here is that there is a faith failure that they did not understand. They had a failure to do his work, and it was rooted in their unbelief. And he wasn't, He says, it's not about just your lack of faith, but it's your lack of prayer, it's your lack of fasting or discipline that's causing your failure. And if you had been praying, if you had been fasting, if you had been meditating on the words that had spoken to you about the cross, you would have healed the boy. If you would have taken that little bit of faith... And done something with it, and put it into prayer, and put it into the words that I've spoken, and put it into a little bit of fasting, there would have been a miracle taken place. But Whitcliffe he's a famous commentator, he says that unbelief and prayerlessness, unbelief and prayerlessness result in spiritual impotency or un- unability. And so we're focused here. Maybe they were jealous of the three who went up the mountains. Maybe that's why they weren't praying. Maybe they were too confident in their own ability or authority, and maybe they were self-seeking, or maybe they were prideful. They didn't have it all together. They weren't ready to crucify the flesh. And so when things come into your life, will you be ready? Church, will you be ready? If we are representative of Jesus Christ, will you be ready when a faith crisis happens? Maybe it's that pulling up on a car accident. Maybe you're driving down the highway and in that moment there's a car accident in front of you and you get out and someone is dying. Will you have the faith in Jesus Christ to do the impossible and to give God glory? that The Holy Spirit prompts you to do so. Where will you be in that moment where someone comes to you with a bad report and it's that person on the street and you see them and God prompts you? Will you have the faith to do something miraculous? Will we have been prayerful, and disciplined in the Word? Will we have been meditating on the Word? And that was their focus, was not on those things. Their focus was not on being ready. Their focus was on, maybe I'll be greatest in the kingdom. Maybe God, I'm so mad, why did He take us up there? You see, their focus is not on God and His glory, but on themselves. And Jesus says, if you just have a little faith, like a mustard seed. And in rabbinic tradition, mustard seed literally meant tiniest. And mustard seed was an illustration for tiniest. And mountain and moving mountains in the uh, Jewish tradition meant do the impossible. So he says, if you just have the smallest measure of faith ever, you can do some of the most impossible things ever. That's literally what he was saying. And so they would have understood it that way. And he's saying like the mustard seed, the mustard seed is the smallest seed in in Israel at the time. And it grows to one of the largest, in, in comparison to how small it is, it grows to a large tree or a large plant and so, if planted in the Word of God, a little thing can do a lot. It can grow. It can be cultivated if it's planted in the Word of God. And so, if there's a crisis in your environment, will you be unprepared? it be like Samson going out to battle without realizing his power was gone. If we neglect our prayer, our faith weakens. What will you do when you're called upon today? Will your faith move mountains or will it stir up doubt in others? Faith, tiny faith, can do the impossible. And just like that father who had small or weak faith, God in his grace took it and did something with it. See, I used to think of this story a lot backwards. I'm thinking, well, man, well, I have faith, but if I have tiny faith, and they got, these guys had, should have had faith, well, where are my faith? If he says, it, I'm not moving mountains real, real recently. I haven't seen any mountains move, right? And so if that's the kind of faith that moves tiny faith, my faith must be just nothing, right? I'm not moving mountains. And so if tiny faith moves this mountain, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that your faith is nothing. He's saying that if you t- take that tiny faith you have and you give it to God and you allow him to grow it and cultivate it, God will do mighty things. Amen? Amen. It's not about you and what you can do. I can't make myself have more faith, but I can give what little faith I have and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Here's what you were doing. Here's what I was trying to do on my own. I'll just give that to you as well, and you grow it. And you get the glory. And I'll give you glory. Amen? And that's the story here. There's fruitful faith. And so maybe you have great mountains today. Maybe it's worry or depression or financial needs or healing or deliverance. It's like a seed. It's got to be cultivated to grow. And so God doesn't look at the size of your faith. He honors just a little. It's not about the measure of your faith, but is your faith willing to grow? Worship team, would you come back? Is your faith willing? Willing to grow today. What does your faith do when it's planted in the Word of God? Are you praying and growing your faith? Are you reading the Word and growing your faith? Are you fasting and growing in your faith? And do you understand the message of the cross? Little is much when God is in it. Where do you put your faith? Where do you put that little bit of faith that you have? Just like the man who professed it but he really didn't trust God with it. Professed Jesus as Lord, cried mercy, but he said, God, I need you to take what I've been holding on to, even the little bit that I have. God, I don't know that I can do this on my own. God, I give it all to you. Three questions. I think we got them on the screen, the focus of faith. I want you to see the three questions Jesus asks about faith. I think he asks these same questions to the world today. And us, the church, where's your faith? Who is your faith in? Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. Is your faith actually in Jesus? Do you believe that He's able to do this, your situation, meet your need? And He asks, when He returns powerfully, He says, when I come back, will I find faith? Will He find a church that is full of faith? Will He find the believer's who have a little faith and not holding on to it, they give it back to God. You and I may have a tiny measure of faith today, but if it's planted in God's Word, and then we add some selfless prayer, we understand the message of the cross, the purpose of His mission, we add those things together and make a great recipe, it will produce the impossible. I'm praying for us today that... Whatever little bit of faith you got, put it in His Word. Pray selflessly over that faith. Add the message of the cross to it and say, "God, I want to crucify my flesh." God, I want to be in the mission of God. You see, God's not going to just grant anything that you ask. It's got to be things that are according to His will, because it's selfless prayer and it's on the mission to the cross. So these disciples, they didn't, they weren't on the mission. They weren't selfless. They weren't meditating, they weren't concentrating on growing and cultivating their faith. And if you have just a little bit of faith, and whether you encounter a demon, whether you need a healing, whether you need to see God move mountains in your finances, or your marriage, or your situation, you say, God, you're God. I trust you. I know that you're God. But Father, I don't have enough to get through this week. I don't have enough to get through this situation, God. Grant me the faith I need. I surrender control to You, and I'm going to put myself in a place to be on a mission to the cross, to seek and save the lost with You, that I'm going to be a part of this great commission. And that puts you in the position to see God do some mighty things. If we put ourselves on the mission, on the way of faith, where is your faith going today? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Where is your faith going today? We're on a journey of faith. Each one of us on a journey of faith. Is it on the way to the cross? Is it on the messianic mission to seek and save the lost? And has it cultivated your faith? Is it growing? Is it bigger this week than it was last week? Is it more in the Word? Is it more into prayer? Is it more into the self-discipline, crucifying the flesh? Tiny faith can move mountains if it's planted in the right place. Father God, we just pray today. I pray over every person here. Father, they would hear Your Word. Apply it to their life. Lord, if there's any person here today that does not know You, Father, I pray right now, maybe they're going through a rough situation like this, Father. Impossible situations. Holding it on to themselves and trying to do it all on their own. Trying to find every avenue. But God, they just need to come to their knees. Cry out to You. That You would be Lord of their situation. And say, God, I believe. But Father, help my own belief. Save me. Cleanse me of my sin. Come into my heart. I want to give You Lordship, Mastery. Over my life and along the way, God, I just have to trust you with everything. If you're here today and that's you, you say, Pastor Heath, I need to give my heart.